please stand with me in the honor of the word of God as I read John 10, 28 through 30. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Rifle. Give me a minute, Potter. I've got to figure out that. <laughs> okay. No worries. <clears throat> um, yeah. How's that? Not too bad. Yeah, it sounds like it. Um, yeah, um, as, as Rifle said, I'm um, student minister over at Gateway Church, um, and uh, um, yeah, uh, and, and I have an apology to make to, I think, probably just two people, maybe more than that. But uh, So I was over there teaching class this morning. We have a youth class at 9.30, and, and I was teaching that, and that gets out at 10.15, and, and it went a minute or two long, and I try and try and get done early when I'm preaching over here at Grace Harvest like I've done before so I can head over here and be here in a timely manner. And I went long and didn't get over here till like 10.29 or maybe 10.30. So Rifle and, and whoever else is leading that that affected, I apologize. And then whoever drives a black Pontiac and I was riding your tail on Gavilan, I apologize to you as well. Um, but, uh, but thanks for going fast. So I wasn't late, um, whoever that was. Um, and, uh, and then, yeah, just every time, just want to say how grateful I am to get to do ministry with, with your pastors and leaders um, here in town, um, Bobby and, and Rifle are two great friends, and I'm, I'm glad the, to know them, and uh, I hope you're glad that they're ministering to and, and pastoring you guys. Um, so, yeah, um, you guys don't know how good you have it. <laughs> um, no, you probably do. You probably do. You are smart people. Um, so, John 10, 28. Oh, also wanted to want to say, normally when, when I give a sermon, um, man, I feel like I've, I've spent time in the, I definitely have done this first part, spent time in the Word and, and uh, reading commentaries and, and context and figuring all that out. Like I said, I, I've done that as well for this one. But usually I get something like some golden nugget that like some 
revelation that I've never seen before in the text. And, and that's what I kind of bring out and, and hope it's new and, and, and enlightening and, and encouraging and kind of changes um, um, your way of thinking about a text and about God and about ourselves. Um, but that, that second part didn't quite happen with the text this time. Um, it's more of a, of a simple like gospel reminder. I think it's something that we all know. Um, but it, it's been a blessing to me as something that, that I need to be reminded of. Um, that again, I, I should, shouldn't need to be, but because we're human and, and uh, are, are prone to forget, um, I hope, hope it's a, a good, simple reminder to you as well. So John 10, 28, uh, I'm going to read it once more and then I'm going to pray and we'll get into the, the sermon. John 10, 28 through 30, I give them eternal life, they will never perish no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who, gives, who has given them to me is greater than all. No one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. God, we thank you uh, for your word. We thank you for um, the new things that we learn often. Um, man, I'm encouraged by some of the elders over at Gateway that are in their 80s and 90s and, and lear- still learning new things. I'm grateful that, that your word does that. You have the power to do that, to to enlighten our, our dark minds um, to the truth and reality of the gospel anew um, every week. Um, and God, we're also grateful for, for things that we know um, and that, that we learned long ago and that we can continue to remind ourselves of um, anew and afresh and that they'll still be encouraging. And uh, I pray that that's what happens today. Um, God, as, as Rifle mentioned, I want to pray for those traveling at Epic. I pray that they come back um, um, yeah, renewed and, and uh, grateful and, and have a joy of, of ministering and pastoring to the people that you've put here, um, you've brought here. Um, we're grateful for that, and I know that, that um, Epic will bear fruit um, in this congregation and the lives of Bobby and, and others with him, and uh, that that will spread um, to this, this body of believers here and spread to our community here in Rodoso. Grateful for that. Be with me this morning um, as I share your word. Pray that your gospel is proclaimed. Um, pray that anything that's not of you is quickly forgotten and any, any truth and, and gospel truth be held on to. Um, God, we love you. Thank you for loving us first. It's your son's name we pray. Amen. Yeah. Um, so this is a picture of Elambari, Mount Elambari. It's a real grainy picture. Um, but that's near Mole, Papua New Guinea. Um, and it's uh, in the elevation highlands of Papua New Guinea, which is an uh, island shared with Indonesia just south of Australia. Um, and I got to spend a summer in Papua New Guinea traveling around um, with a missionary, and we went preaching the gospel to uh, about 12 different villages, and Mole was one of them, which is about 10 minutes from where this picture is taken from. Um, Mount Elambari is a really, really cool mountain. But we arrived to Mole, Papua New Guinea. Me, two friends, um, the missionary that we went with from Dallas, his name's Sandy, and then our, our translator and guide, Coxma Galupa. And we arrived to Mole. Um, we're low on Kina, which is this here, um, money, currency. Um, and you can't tell by looking at it, but it's real uh, plasticky. It's got a like plastic film on it, unlike our dollar bills, because in Lay, Papua New Guinea, um, the second biggest um, city over there, uh, rains three, on average, 300 inches of rain a year. 
<laughs> Lay, Papua New Guinea is wild. Uh, we, we left our money and like stuff in Lay. That's where we kind of arrived. And we left it there and went and traveled for five weeks and came back. And our stuff had like been in the, the closet um, where there's no like, it's covered. There's no rain getting to it. And it molded and everything. It was, it was wild. Uh, very humid and kind of miserable place. Uh, but, <clears throat> uh, so yeah, we, we arrived to Mole, um, low on Kina. We don't have much money. And then also, just side note, this is a, a Melanesian pigeon Bible that I brought. Um, and uh, it's called Book, book by Bell. You can see how they spell book, maybe, B-U-K. Um, anybody guess what Genesis is called? Start. It's the start. Call it the start. Uh, and then uh, our Psalms, Book of Psalms, is called Book Song. Right? Real simple, real cool. Okay, anyways, that has nothing to do with the sermon, but I think it's cool. Hope you guys think it's cool, too. Uh, so we arrived to Mole, low on, low on money, low on Kina. We're tired from traveling um, in uh, the back of a land, Toyota Land Cruiser, which over here might, might be ki- kind of li- li- luxurious. I don't know, a Land Cruiser. But over there, it's like the cheapest way to haul a bunch of people. Um, and so we, we go on the Land Cruiser on the bumpiest road up until that point. Bumpier roads um, are ahead for us. But we've been in hours, the back of a Land Cruiser, bumpy road, um, we're tired from that, low on money. Um, we get there, and it's the first time that I had ever experienced, me and my, my two buddies had ever experienced whalers coming up, and these women would come up just wailing. I, I, I think they're sad, uh, right? I, they're crying at the top of their lungs, and so I'm kind of trying, they, they come up and hug us, I'm trying to comfort them, and, and just real caught off guard, don't know what to do. Come to find out, they're actually really joyful because a, a white Christian missionary has never been to their village, um, and they were overcome with joy. Um, but I didn't know what to do, kind of added to the hectic, chaotic um, feelings that I have in that moment. And, and the thing that we normally do when we arrive to a, 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 a new village over there was we played with all the kids that kind of emerge from the bushes and grass. Um, and um, Papua New Guinea kids aren't, are built different than uh, American kids. They um, jump longer and further and play harder and um, go, go f- more than, than uh, American kids. And some of you parents say, no, you haven't met mine. Well, you haven't met Papua New Guinea kids either, so... Um, so we're tired from that as well. They, they would like, there's a, a cliff face covered in kunai jungle grass and they're rappelling off this cliff face holding onto the grass and we would throw a frisbee and they would drop like 10 feet into more kunai grass and then emerge with the frisbee after a little bit. It was, it was wild. It was awesome. Um, anyways, we've been doing that <clears throat> and uh, in the middle of all that, we're, all that's going on, um, we get a call from one of the only people that has a cell phone over there in that, that village. And our missionary and translator and guide had gone to the, the nearby town. It's a little over two hours away to get groceries for the rest of our stay here. And we find out that they're not going to make it back that evening because a tree fell over a bridge and they can't come back. So us three co- college kids are alone in the back bush of Papua New Guinea. We're the only people that, that speak English. And we're tired, low on money. It's, it's crazy, hectic, and chaotic. And now, the only reason we came was to preach, was to worship. And that's canceled because the only person who can translate English to pigeon is not going to be able to be there. And so worship's canceled for the night. And, and I'm feeling all of these things and thinking, I mean, Matthew 28 ends with, And behold, I am with you always 
even to the ends of the age. That's Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us, telling us that, promising us that. And I believe that, and I know that, but it doesn't feel like that. It doesn't feel true. I'm running out of money, energy, and patience in a foreign country, and I'm one of three people who knows English, so we're alone. Um, just, a, just a few college kids, dumb, and that's what we're focused on, right? All those things. Um, and so it doesn't feel like God is with me. This is far from the first time that I've had this feeling, and it hasn't been the last time that I've experienced this feeling. There's been other chaotic times um, in my life where I'm not sure what to do. There have been depressing times where everything's going wrong and nothing is being done about it. And, And I've prayed over and over again about a situation, and it doesn't get resolved, and I say, where are you, God? You say, I will never leave you or forsake you, and I know that, but it doesn't seem like, it doesn't feel like it in the moment. Where are you? I've read it, but it doesn't look like it in this moment. I don't think I'm alone in this. You guys have, have, have issues with family members that you've been asking to be resolved, and they aren't. Some of your lives are more chaotic and stressful than mine have ever been. You've experienced extreme loss and depression. You can say with me to some degree, A lot of you are more mature than me on this, but to some degree you can say, man, God, where were you at this time in this area? Man, even right now some of you are experiencing this. Where are you, God? I I know it. I know it, right? Read it in Scripture, but I don't feel it. So, Kristen and I, we'll shift right here. Kristen and I are real late to the game on this, I know, Um, but we just started watching the series Chosen. I'm not sure if you guys are pro or, or against Chosen. There's a lot of, uh, at least that I've been reading online, a lot of, a lot of thoughts on the series Chosen. I think there are a lot of good and great things about the series and some things that could give you some hesitation, maybe be considered bad. But I want to share a real quick scene with you that was really powerful to Kristen and I this, this week. So it's early in season one. I think it was episode four. Um, Peter's in the boat. Um, and he's, he's fishing at night, and he's trying to catch a bunch of fish to pay for um, taxes that he owes. He owes a bunch of taxes, and something bad's going to happen if he's not able to pay them. So he's trying to fish all night um, so that he can pay taxes. And now, uh, also, those of you who haven't seen Chosen or aren't familiar, this is in the series Chosen. This, what we're about to see, isn't it, what, what I'm about to explain, isn't in Scripture, okay? So that might be a kind of bad thing <laughs> about the movie cho- or series Chosen. Um, <clears throat> but what, we, what we've seen in the series, again, not in Scripture, what we've seen in the series is Peter's life has been chaotic, hectic, and we get to this point where he's on the boat fishing, and he has this monologue with God that's not in Scripture, but I think I've had this monologue with God. I haven't used these exact words that Peter's going to use, um, but I've had this monologue with God. This is what Peter says. I will make your descendants as many as the stars in heaven. And then what? Huh? Make the chosen as many as the stars, only to let Egypt enslave us for generations. Bring us out of Egypt, part the Red Sea, only to let us wander in the desert for 40 years. Give us the land, only to let us be exiled in Babylon. Bring us back to be crushed by Rome. This is the God I have served so faithfully my entire life. That's what Peter says in the boat, in the, mo- in the series Chosen. He goes on to say, 
Um, If I didn't know better, I would think you enjoyed yanking us around like goats. It seems, God, like you're trying to decide if we're the chosen or not. Alright, so again, I want to be clear that that's, that's in the, Peter's saying that in, in chosen, not in scripture. I don't know how many of you are passionate about chosen. It doesn't seem like too many of you are, so that's, it's probably overkill. But, um, <laughs> but we know God is with us even when it doesn't seem like it, right? Um, and, and Peter knows God is with him, but it doesn't seem like it. And, and what he sees from history and his life right now doesn't seem like it. We know John 10, 28 through 30 is true, that we're in, in the Father's hands, in Christ's hands. We know Matthew 28 is true. Behold, I am with you always, even to the ends of the age. Then what is happening? Why do we with David cry out, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? We cry out and have this internal conflict because we, like David, desire to be more aware of God's presence in our everyday life, right? Or at least I hope we do. He's always with me. I don't always feel like that, but I want to in the good times and in the bad. Can you imagine if we were more aware of God's presence in the good times, how how great those good times would be? Um, And then in the bad times, um, that gives us purpose to our our hurt, purpose to the pain that reassures us that this isn't the end. And then also, this isn't in my notes, but but in fighting sin, right? Being more aware of God's presence in our battle with sin, that is huge. Huge makes a difference. And and, and on that note about sin, uh, what what I've been talking about, nearness of God is true for the believer. He's always with us. He's never going to leave us or forsake us. That's true for the believer, but those of you who aren't fighting sin and are, aren't a believer yet, but maybe you hear this, you think that sounds pretty good and want to be, man, give your life to Christ today. Um, fight sin in your life. Allow him to, to, to put that to death in you, right? Um, and so again, that was off notes, but <laughs> um, we want to be more aware of God's presence in the good times and the bad and our battle with sin. How do we do that? A story I heard uh, from Tim Mackey recently, I think is helpful here. Tim Mackey's the theologian who, who made all the Bible Project videos that you've watched on YouTube. Um, Tim Mackey's awesome, awesome guy. But he tells a story of hiking near Mount Rainier in Oregon, and, and he's going to go for three or four days, this place, um, uh, in, near, near Mount Rainier in Oregon. And his first... Uh, camping spot, camping location, is probably the hardest part of his hike to get up to that point. And so he's going hard, hard up this trail, head down, pack on, focused, and because he's Tim Mackey, he's also thinking deep about some theological thing. And he's very present of of what's right in front of him, very present of what he's thinking about. And then what kind of awakens him to what's actually around him is he hears a rustling in the bushes up ahead, and he's fearful at first for what it might be, and then he feels a little bit awkward because he finds out it's a woman in the, in the bushes up there. He feels awkward for what he might have stumbled upon until she turns around with a, face, with a mouth full of purple and yells, have you tried the huckleberries? And, and what he f- learns is that he was in a field of huckleberries all around him, is, is the biggest field of huckleberries that he's ever seen. Um, he looks up ahead, and as far as he can see the trail going up, he's going to be hiking through huckleberries. 
And then he realizes, he looks back, and for a few hundred yards, as far as he could see, he had been hiking through huckleberries. He had no idea. He was focused on his footing, focused on the theological problem, had no idea of this beauty of these huckleberries around him. He didn't have eyes to see it. He wasn't looking for huckleberries, so he doesn't, doesn't see them. He's worried about his footing, like I said. Never saw them, even though they were all around, right? Okay, back to Mole, Mole Papua New Guinea. Mitch, Josh, and I, three college kids, in the bush of Papua New Guinea as night falls. We don't know a soul. We can't communicate with any of them. And we're running out of money, not sure how far away Sandy, our missionary, is, or Coxma is, our guide. We're tired, and we're alone, and night's falling, and so we're getting ready for bed. We can't talk to anybody around us, and it's about to get real cold, and there's no electricity, so what else are we going to do but go to sleep? I want to go be in my sleeping bag. Um, So we're getting ready, getting into our tents, and a local sees that, and he comes running up to us, and, and we're able to pick up on what he's trying to communicate to us, is that dozens of people have come over multiple mountain ranges to hear the white Christian missionaries that have arrived today. And at this moment that we hear this, it just kind of adds to the hectic chaos. We're like, okay, what, what do you want us to do about it? We can't communicate with them. What, if, what are we going to do? Um, but the same conversation, just, this is a, what do you call it, foreshadowing? No, jumping ahead? I don't know. We're going to look back on this conversation and see that this is God working, God showing us that he's near. Um, but that's coming, I'm skipping ahead. But in this moment, it adds to the chaos. But in this same sentence, same conversation where we learn uh, about these, these people who have traveled over, over uh, mountain ranges to come see us, we hear that Sandy and Cox are making it past the fallen tree, and they are going to make it back tonight, and we are going to have worship. All right? Um, and so again, this is in the moment, this is like, oh my goodness, we got to get ready for worship. Mitch is preaching, he doesn't know what he's preaching. we gotta, we got to do this. Um, but we're going to be able to look back on this in a different light in a few days. So it's Mitch's turn to preach, and about 10 o'clock, he does that, 10 o'clock at night. Nothing special or unique about our worship time compared to other times over there in PNG. A few people responded um, at the end. And it, and it was it a was great, great worship experience. So we didn't see in this moment um, where God was, how he was working. We just wanted to go to sleep, heads down, focused on other things, not seeing the huckleberries all around us, but we will. All right? John 10, 28 through 30 is uh, right before, uh, right after, I, I apologize, right after the I am the good shepherd, I am statement, right? We're all familiar with that. And then in between those, uh, Jesus goes on to say, I know my own, and my own know me. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. How do you get to know somebody's voice? Spend time with them, right? Listen to them. You're near them. In some, some aspect, with the invention of invention, not advention, that's not a word, invention of technology, we're able to be distant while, while getting to know somebody's voice, right? But they're in your ears. You're near them in some way. That's how you get to know somebody's voice. And then those of us who are believers and Christians been following our good shepherd for most of our lives or any amount of time or spending time near God, getting to know his voice. And we want to know his voice, right? And so we spend time close to him. 
So recently, Kristen and I made an unbelievably difficult decision to move to Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina. Uh, I don't know, some of you might, might not have known that, and probably should have told you in a better, better way than, than in, uh, in, in a sermon. But anyways, um, yeah, so, and, and this is something that we wanted to hear God's voice on. I uh, wanted to be where God wants us to be. We don't want to go anywhere God doesn't want us to go. Um, this is something we've grown in a lot in the past, um, since being here in Ridoso. Uh, moving, our, our decision to move to Ridoso went something like Paul Wetzel calling us about three days after our weekend interview, and he says, hey, so you're going to come to the mountains and work with us? And I said, let me talk to Kristen. I hung up the phone, said, hey, do you want to move to Ridoso? Yeah, sure, that'd be good. And, and so I called back a few minutes later and uh, said, yeah, we'll, we'll be there as soon after Christmas as we could. That's how that conversation went. Um, and uh, we did spend time in prayer beforehand, all that, for sure. But this one was a little bit more difficult. And we want to know whether God wants us in Raleigh or here or somewhere else. Um, and so we've been spent, spent time listening and knowing the voice of God. And there's, there's a lot of different examples that I could share with you right now of, of how we be, believe God is revealing to us. This is the right move for us. This is where we want to go. But this one's my favorite that I'm going to share with you. Um, this is a picture of my mammer and granddad, um, my grandparents um, in a nursing home in Eastland. And my granddad, left obviously, is a... Um, he was a Church of Christ preacher for 30 plus years at the same congregation for 10 to 15. My grandparents were Church of Christ through and through, all right? And when my, just to give you an example, when my grandma found out that I was worshiping at a church in college that had instruments, um, she, her response was, those of you who don't know, Church of Christ is strictly a cappella. Instruments are bad. When she found out I was worshiping at a church that had instruments, her response was, I knew she would get in with, he would get in with the wrong crowd. All right? Um, and so there's a couple of things going on there. She wanted me to go to Harding because it's a little bit more conservative than ACU. Um, but she said that not because I was partying or getting into trouble, but because I was going to church, right? Uh, so that just gives you an example of, of what we're dealing with here. And, uh, the church that Kristen and I are moving to in Raleigh-Durham is uh, the Summit Church. It's part of the Southern Baptist Convention. Again, if you know anything about Church of Christ, they got a history with the Baptists, okay? Not a, not a good move um, for, for, for my grandma. She was upset, to say the least. My aunt and my mom were there, took the cell phone away from her so she wouldn't call us, and uh, told her nurses at the nursing home, give her a sleeping pill so she will sleep tonight um, because she is freaking out, all right? Um, but my grandma, Mammer, did text me about two days later, and she said this. She said, I've been look I looked up the church online, and I agreed with just about everything. Baptism, mission, beliefs. She did, she did say, I'm still not sure about instruments, but she said she was excited and happy for us. Do you have eyes, Do you have eyes to see? That's huckleberries all around, right? There is no way two or three years ago my grandma would ever be excited about her grandson moving to a Baptist church. No way. But, but God has been maturing and growing her spiritually miraculously to where she can send that text and Krista and I can say, man, th thank you, God. 
for your nearness, your presence in our life. You're going before us. This is where you want us to be. Now, I want you to hear, hear me when I say that being aware of God's presence is something I'm hoping to grow in this year because I've not been doing a good job of it in the past. And I feel like when I, when I share a good example of, oh yeah, I saw, saw God in this, I've got to share a bad one as well. Um, because the two, a day or two after I got this text from my grandma, uh, I was on a, at a track meet, and for track and cross-country seasons, I always, I'm coaching track, coaching cross-country to see fruit, to, to share the gospel, to, to encourage students to know Jesus. And so I'm praying about that all the time, praying for the opportunity to have gospel conversations. And a day or two after seeing the huckleberry, seeing God's presence in our life, in my grandma's life, um, one, of, one of my track students, as we're getting on the bus to leave the track meet, he says, Coach Mills, why aren't you a pastor? Okay, and I've been praying to have conversations about Jesus. And, and he asked me, why aren't you a pastor? Here's my response. I, I said, well, I'm kind of a pastor. I'm a youth pastor. And he said, oh, and we moved on. Man, are you kidding me, dude? Like, that, that's it, Connor. That's the opportunity. And you didn't take it, man. You didn't take it. That's God's presence right there. And I, I did nothing with it. And I'm, if you can't tell, I'm mad about it. <laughs> uh, God's answering my prayer right in front of me, and I didn't have eyes to see it. I was distracted by being a track coach and, and making sure we're organized and safe and, and have the opportunity to, to do what I've been praying about. Um, and the kid wasn't at, at practice all this week, so I haven't had a chance to talk to him about it, but I plan to, okay? Y'all can keep me accountable for that. Uh-huh. And thank you. <laughs> so I've spent most of my life trying to follow my good shepherd. So I recognize this voice when I see it in my grandma, but I still miss it and a student on the track team. And I guarantee you I've missed so many other opportunities to see God working in and around me in Kristen's life the past few weeks. And I hope to and plan to see more opportunities and see God's presence in our lives because I know He's so close. He's near. He promises that He is. John 10, 28 says that He is. We're we're in the Father's hands. We're in Jesus' hands. You hear the nearness in that verse, right? Listen to what Lord Kinmuir, a guy named Lord Kinmuir, I don't know who he is, but I found this quote, and it's powerful, on John 10, 28 through 30. He says, Man, my name is written on Christ's hand, and I see it. That is bold talk, man, but I see it. Then, if that be the case, his hand must be severed from his body before my name can be taken from him. And if it be engraven on his heart, his heart must be rent out before they can rend my name out. That's powerful. The nearness, the security that we have in Christ. We've been made one with Christ. He is in us and we are in Him. It doesn't get any nearer. So why, on a mission trip, preaching the gospel to unreached places, do I feel so distant from Him? So back to Mole, Papua New Guinea. Skip forward two days from the night we arrived, the day the tree fell. It's my turn to preach. And that evening, we're still tired, we're still worried about money, not feeling good about this part of the trip. And because of that, I decide to preach a sermon that I wrote while I was in the U.S., before I'd ever met anybody from Papua New Guinea, before I ever knew the culture in Papua New Guinea, I wrote a sermon for those people, a.k.a. it was a bad sermon, okay? It's not going to be good, but I'm going to preach it because of all these hectic, chaotic kind of things, because I'm lazy in this moment. Um, 
And so I preached that sermon. And usually, every time we preached a sermon over there, we'd have some sort of kind of altar call for people to respond. And usually we had two to five people respond to these, these end, end sermon invitations. This night, 12 people responded, three of them wanting to be baptized at 9.30 at night in the highlands of PNG, where it, it's 40 degrees outside. They don't have any warm water. Three of them wanted to be baptized. Twelve of them respond to the sermon. So we leave from there. We walk up the road to their usual Baptist baptism spot, and they get in the water, find out it's too low. So we get back on the, on the trail, keep walking, singing worship songs the whole time, find a spot, baptize them. On our way back, still singing worship songs, and it's 11 at night in the middle of nowhere in Papua New Guinea, three white guys, four white guys, including our missionary, and, and a bunch of locals. And we get stopped in the middle of nowhere by two random guys walking down the road. Us white guys are on edge. This is, this is not, not a good situation to be in. But what we came to realize is they, were, they find out that we're Christian missionaries and we're staying in the village with, with the people. And they thought that was the coolest. They were so impressed. And they, they wanted, wanted, found out where they worshipped. And they were going to come worship next week with them. Um, and so, again, we're, our, our eyes are finally, this is the woman in the bushes saying, Hey, do you see the huckleberries? This is God saying to us, Hey, I'm all around you, man. You, this is God's presence. It wasn't me. I preached a bad sermon. Um, it wasn't, wasn't the people um, just wanting to be baptized because it was cool. It's 40-degree water. And, and again, like I said, Papua New Guinean people are built different, but 40-degree air water is cold. It's cold, right? Um, this is God showing us. I was lazy. I recycled a sermon, not intended for these people. I'm tired. I don't want to be there. And now, but now, because of God's presence, we're able to see that two days ago, there were, God's nearness was there, Right? God bringing people from miles away, walking over mountain ranges to hear us. That's God's nearness. Um, local people gathering together with their machetes. They don't have chainsaws back o- over there. Um, they don't even have handsaws. They got machetes. And they cut up a tree that had fallen over a bridge so that Cox, not, not just so, but uh, so that Sandy and Cox could come back and be with us. We had worship that night. It's God's presence. These two random guys in the middle of nowhere, Papua New Guinea, see it in us and stop us. Hey, why are these white people here? Um, it's because of God. It's God's nearness. They can see it, and now we can too. Money situation didn't change, but our perspective did. Right? We spent more time looking at Christ, seeing God all around us, instead of focused on the chaos, focused on the things that were going wrong. All because God opened our eyes to the huckleberries, to the nearness of Christ in our lives. And now we're able to look back and see God's nearness throughout the whole trip. So, I've got a couple questions for you. Is your focus on the chaos of your life, the mess that you've been wanting God to fix, the loss that you've experienced, even the goodness, the success, the peace that might be around you right now? Is that your focus? Or is your head down, hiking through life, like I was, worried about money or fatigue, a language barrier, feelings of inadequacy and loneliness. Is that where you are? Are your eyes set on Christ, who holds you, keeps you, protects you? Your name is on his hand and his heart. Nothing is strong enough to change that. I'm going to close with Psalm 23 real quick. 
I don't have it on the screen, so if you want to turn there, you can. Psalm 23. You also might know it. It's a pretty famous psalm. Psalm 23 says this, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The first section, verses 1 through 3, focuses. You can see the repetition, the first start of every line. The Lord, He, 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 He. Where are we as sheep in Psalm 23? We're in a good place. Green pastures, still waters. But that doesn't matter. The focus is on the Lord. It's He who's there. It's He, it's He, it's He, right? He's leading us through, through uh, paths of righteousness. All right, next section. We're going through this real quick. Next section, where are we? Valley of the shadow of death. It's a scary place, but that doesn't matter. Why? Because our good shepherd is with us. He's next to us. Not only does he lead us down paths of righteousness in front of us, but he's next to us. He's with us. All right, in the last section, 23. Again, we're in a bad place. We're surrounded by our enemies. But that doesn't matter. That doesn't phase us because our good shepherd turned gracious host. Feasting with him. We're feasting with him. That's what matters. That's what matters. Not the enemies around us, but that our good shepherd turned gracious host is with us. Is with us. In that last section, we see that not only does he lead us in paths of righteousness in front of us, not only is he next to us, beside us in the valley of the shadow of death, but where else is he? He's following us with goodness and mercy. Psalm 23, there's a lot of things going on, a lot that could distract our focus, good things that could distract our focus, bad things that could distract our focus, but our gaze, our focus is on our good shepherd, our gracious host, who is in front, beside, and following us. He holds us, he's in us, and us in him. Focus on him, see his presence in your life, see the huckleberries that are all around you, right? Rifle is going to lead us in a time of communion um, where we focus more than other times on his nearness, right? doesn't get any nearer than sharing in the body and the blood of our Savior. And I hope this is just the beginning of a, of a week where you are more aware than in the, of the presence of God than you have been in a while. That's my hope and prayer for, for myself and for you as well. Um, let's share communion together.
Jesus is so.